The Terrifying Lies Podcast, with music and stories by Craig Nibo. Greetings, friends, and welcome to Season 2, Episode 12 of the Terrifying Lies Podcast. In the production industry, the director refers to the second-to-last shot as the Abbey shot. Production people attribute this to the great director Abner E. Abbey, singer who directed great films such as Spooks, Hot Ice, and Hook a Crook. Abner called the second-to-last shot so the crew could prep to break down the set quicker. Well, this episode represents the Abbey episode of Terrifying Lies Season 2. Only one more to go. I hope you've enjoyed this season. For today, I give you a story that considers the value of man and womankind not only in the here and now, but for all eternity. I had a blast writing this one, and I think you're going to enjoy it. Get ready to meet someone who holds the truth of ages on the tip of his silver tongue. I'll see you on the other side. This is Soul Broker, written and performed by Craig Nibo. The newspaper ad read, Mr. Spillman, Soul Broker. I read it twice to make sure I wasn't getting it wrong. A tagline ran along the ad footer, a small price to pay for a lifetime of success and delights. I might have tried something a little more eye-popping, like the Make-A-Wish Foundation for people who already have everything. Now there's a tagline, but who am I to say what works and what doesn't work when it comes to advertising? I only work in the mailroom. I won't be in the mailroom forever. I write an ad a day just to keep my chops up. I have a file of 219 spec ads that sell everything from get-rich-quick schemes to tennis shoes. Someday, I'll be the kind of copywriter other copywriters pretend to be. Their designer glasses and opinions on Citizen Kane, which I think of as a big fat emperor with invisible clothes. I couldn't deny it. Bad tagline and all the ad jabbed me. I tore it out of the paper, folded it up, and put it into my pocket. Next thing I knew, when I had a few minutes to myself from my work, I was picking up the phone and dialing the number. It rang only once before someone on the other end answered. Mr. Spillman, soul broker. Bringing love, fortune, and prosperity one deal at a time. Can I help you? Another tagline, and a redundant one at that. Weren't prosperity and fortune the same thing? Why waste a good word? Pith was always a better tactic. Besides, Mr. Spillman wasn't sticking to a consistent message. He'd convoluted his brand with two opposing taglines. He could use help. Maybe I could be the guy to raise my hand. I work at Cage PR, I said. I just came across your ad. I think I can help you hone your message. Message is fine, son, Mr. Spillman said. Like I said, I work at Cage PR. I am familiar with the agency, but you're not feeling me. I get plenty of business. Now the question isn't what you can do for me, but what I can do for you. I guess I was just curious. I found your ad in the paper. What is a soul broker? You're in luck, son. I'm in the area, and I'd be glad to explain it all over lunch. My treat. I paused for a moment, not knowing what to say. Come on, you said you're curious. Meet me for lunch. It's been a while since I laid out the whole story. 
You said you work for a PR firm? Don't you have ambitions of being a big-time publicist? Maybe I can help. Actually, uh, I'm, a, I'm a copywriter. Sure, sure, any way you like it. Look, I've been around the block a few times. You might not learn anything about writing killer copy from me, but you might learn something about yourself. Uh, okay. Sounds interesting. Good. I know just the place to meet. There's this obscure burger joint. Papa's Burger, it's called. It's been around forever. How about I promise you the best darn cheeseburger you've ever eaten? Sounds agreeable, I said. He gave me an address and we settled on 1.30 that afternoon for lunch. I had loads to do before 1.30, so I hit it hard. Two bins of mail came in that morning. A good haul. I went about my usual grind of sorting it into three gigantic banks of inboxes that covered most of the mailroom walls. I transferred the mail from the inboxes to a pushcart and alphabetically labeled hanging envelopes. As I went through the motions, I thought about what I would want in exchange for my soul. I remembered a story about a man who had drafted a contract for his soul and had it notarized. He listed the contract on eBay and watched the price run up into the thousands before eBay had shut his auction down. With revenue like that, it's no wonder someone like Mr. Spillman could survive as a so-called soul broker in today's age of faithlessness. I threw a stack of trade rags on Scott England's desk. He thanked me over the usual mad-witted piles of papers and books that had turned into their own little city on the real estate of his office table. Several sheets of paper lay on the floor of his office, each with a different pencil sketch drawn on it. Most of them depicted a personified computer using its steroid-pumped muscles to perform some kind of manly task. Fighting, swinging a sledgehammer, flexing. I read a couple of the taglines written on the storyboards. Found them useless. You thought about working a Viking slant into those drawings? Maybe you could use some kind of a war cry, I suggested. Scott fixed me with a stare so cold that my eyeballs seemed to freeze in their sockets. Thanks for the mail, kid. Now, why don't you let me get back to work? Sure, sorry, just uh, trying to help. Scott picked up the stack of mail I'd placed on his desk. You've already helped. Now, could you shut the door on your way out? I nodded and forced a smile as I backed out of his office. I hate creative guys. Most of them act like they were bred in designer petri dishes rather than born. It's like they all want to out-cool each other as their first item of business, while putting out good work lurks somewhere down lower on the list. Scott was like the rest of them. He thought of himself as a non-conformist, a real edgy creative. He put on his black leathers to drive his Harley into the shop every morning and switched out for business casual to play golf with the agency partners in the afternoon. Fact is, guys like Scott non-conform their way right into an upmarket clique of completely conforming bastards. They pushed my cart away from Scott's office. I wondered if he and all of his good old boys club mates had sold their souls in a bargain bin in trade for black duds and acidic, cynical wit. What would I sell my soul for? I thought about it as I delivered mail to office after office. I found the crux in choosing between the journey or the destination. Would I trade my soul for instant wealth and fame? Or would I trade it for the ability to gain wealth and fame? Would I, say, trade for a fat bank account? Or would I pawn it off to become the best copywriter in the world with the confidence to prove it? With that kind of talent, I'd still have to pay my dues, but maybe it wasn't about instant gratification. Statistics show that more than 70% of lottery winners squander their fortunes and go bankrupt. They usually end up in worse situations than before they hit the numbers. Maybe selling your soul was the same way. 
Perhaps it was better to wish for something permanent, like abilities, than to wish for wealth. It's easy enough to say that those poor schmuckalotto winners should have invested their newfound fortunes into low-risk annuities, that way they could have lived out their lives in prosperity. But then, I've never won the lottery. $20 bills burn their way through my pockets like smoldering coals. I can't imagine the white-hot heat of $20 million. No, I wouldn't ask for money in trade. I'd ask for capability. There I went, thinking as if this Mr. Spillman guy could truly grant my wishes. I had to get real. People could promise anything in a newspaper ad and deliver any pittance they wanted in trade. That's the modus operandi of modern business. I put a package on Sarah Seaman's desk. I like Sarah. She's one of the good ones. She treats us mailroom guys like humans. She smiled up at me over her sexy little glasses. I smiled back, but my heart felt sad. She was engaged to Scott England. I wondered why the best-looking women seemed to enjoy abusive relationships. Didn't she see Scott for what he was, an arrogant prick with no redeeming qualities except for a bank account with enough money to orthodontically fix his smile and dress in thousand-dollar-a-day outfits? There's nothing in the guy but darkness. Unfortunately for Sarah, she wouldn't see it till after they tied the knot. Guys always ask, why don't girls like Sarah, or fill in the blank with any hot girl's name, go for guys like me? It's simple. Girls have four guy qualifiers. Height, hilarity, bank account, and looks. Most women are not complete skin flints. They're willing to drop any one of these qualifiers, but if they have to drop two or more, we guys are out of luck. I have two out of three. I think of myself as funny, and I have looks. I've even done some modeling. That leaves me with two problems. I stand at a scant four foot 11, and have only 50 bucks in the bank. 50% just doesn't cut it. Nope, girls like Sarah Siemens won't go after a guy like me unless I can pick up either some vertical height or a whole lot of do-re-mi. Scott England sits at 75%. He's rich, tall, and good looking. But even after a couple of drinks, Scott hushes a room with even his best attempt at a joke. So much for hilarity. Maybe I would sell my soul for a knockout girlfriend. A girl like Sarah can really boost a man's confidence. Maybe give him the fuel he needs to succeed. But I wasn't born yesterday. I know all too well about booby-trapped relationships. I had a girlfriend a few years back with real stopping power. Made me feel uncomfortable and protective. How much other guys oogled her when we went out. Seemed that every guy wanted her. But what every guy didn't know was that she was bitchy and uninteresting. It seemed she could only talk about her weight and her hair. She constantly asked me if she looked good. It seemed the entirety of her skills involved blow dryers, hair curlers, makeup, and rehearsed pouty facial expressions. She constantly fished for compliments and reveled in the relax, babe, you're a knockouts, and you could put any other girl in the room in the dog houses. The whole thing grew tiresome, and I had to dump her. By the end of my four-month romp with her, she turned from the most beautiful thing that ever entered my life to a kind of dead weight that I felt responsible to carry around town all the time. Nope. Beautiful women would not be my trade. I kept coming back to an honest swap. My soul for extraordinary abilities of some kind. After all, on the hot girl front, I was 50% there. There wasn't much I could do about height, but if I had the ability to grow my bank account, I'd have a shot at any woman I wanted. Terrifying Lies podcast will return after this short commercial break. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome back to the Terrifying Lies Podcast. One o'clock rolled up much quicker than I expected. I delivered all the mail, picked up two orders from the printing house, made a few calls to find a realistic plastic brain to use as a prop in a photo shoot, and dropped off two proofs to a client across town. With all that out of the way, it was time for my lunch appointment with the mysterious Mr. Spillman. I followed Mr. Spillman's directions and found Papa's Burger. The place seemed to be stuck in some kind of space-time continuum. The joint's day had long since passed with the age of the poodle skirt and duck-tailed pompadours. I liked the sign, a gigantic L-shaped affair with enough neon glass to light a small casino. Papa's Burger, the sign read. A statue out front greeted me, a happy-looking dude with gargantuan cheeks and an anchor tattooed to his arm. I wondered why I hadn't heard of Papa's Burger. Seemed the perfect place for a big ad yuckety yucks to slum and wet their beaks. They're drawn to mom and pop places that peppered an otherwise Olive Garden-esque chain-laden city. I'd have to remember the place, even if the food wasn't great. I liked the Big Al's diner decor and the gut-turning grease smell that probably sat in a city block-sized cloud around the happy concrete statue. I walked into the building. A chubby checker song reverberated around the dining hall bouncing in perpetuity from an endless supply of white-tiled surfaces. Red vinyl stools lined a shake bar, the perfect spot for the family circus dad to sit down with his son and discuss the watered-down version of the birds and the bees over a pair of boysenberry heart stoppers. I liked the dude behind the counter, a mop-top kid with a white smock and one of those envelope-style hats with a red stripe along the top. He slanted his head in a greeting when he spotted me. I smiled back at him and waved. I walked along a line of red faux hide booths, looking for my 1.30. I expected to be greeted by a mob of lunch stuff faces, all talking over each other, but the place was clean, except for the unrelenting blues refrain spilling from the juke, obscured by the discontented acoustic bounce. I decided to sit down and keep a lookout for Mr. Spillman. I had no idea what he looked like. I pictured a gangly guy in a blue light special suit and scuffed shoes, the type of guy who pins up millionaire's apprentice wanted signs, on lampposts around town. I couldn't have been more wrong. I heard the bell above the entrance ring and looked up. A flop-eared guy who couldn't have stood more than 5'8 on a good day roamed into Papa's. The guy looked like he could be a blue-collar stiff, complete with a spider-veined puffy nose, except he wore a tailored suit. Probably paid six or seven bills for it, too. He wore a fedora, which fit right in with the late 50s ambiance of Papa's burger and a pair of expensive Italian shoes. Maybe this soul broker gig was something not to be scoffed at. 
He took off his fedora and looked around the dining room. I waved at him. He smiled and ambled toward me, holding a black leather suitcase in one pudgy hand and his fedora in the other. Mr. Tula, Spillman said as he rolled up to my table. That's me. He sat down across the formica from me, laying his briefcase down between us. Sorry I'm late. You know how it goes. Actually, I didn't know how it goes. I pride myself in being punctual. How'd you find this place? I didn't know it existed. Mr. Spillman looked around the dining hall, smiling. Places like this don't exist anymore. And this is the best of them. They serve the best Don cheeseburger you've ever tasted. It's to die for, I'm telling you. Hello, Mr. Spillman. I jumped, startled. I hadn't seen the mop-top kid come to the table. He put a couple of red, white, and blue menus down in front of Mr. Spillman and me. I sensed a strange kind of vacuousness in the kid's eyes, like he was only half there. Everything about the kid seemed to convey that he was a good enough dude, probably came from a well-developed family, probably went to college, studying engineering or some other practical endeavor. But something in those eyes betrayed all that. Couldn't put a finger on it. I didn't quite trust the kid. Maybe he was the type to spit in my burger when the manager wasn't looking. I thanked him for the menu. The kid gave me a quick nod then moved off toward the soda jerk bar. I reached for the menu, but Spillman stopped me by putting one of his pudgy hands on the laminated list of quickie foods. He fixed me with the most grandpa-like smile I've ever seen. Tell you what, kid. Why don't you let me order for you? I know this joint like an old friend. Heck, I even have a bowl of chili named after me. Well, you know, to tell you the truth, I was kind of in the mood for nonsense, Mr. Tula. I feel in a way like you're in my house and I'd like to offer you every bit of the hospitality I reserve for even my most distinguished guests. If you can just agree to my, I admit, eccentric but sociable times and let me share, I'll order you up the best darn cheeseburger you've ever tasted. Think of it like a blank check. Just give me the license and I'll fill in the deep-fried love and glory. You have my personal guarantee that this boyger will be the best you've ever tasted. Now, what do you say? Mr. Spillman extended his meaty hand. The man exuded an aura of comfort and sincerity that is so rare in this man-eat-man world that I found him refreshing. I smiled and shook with him. Okay, Grandpa, sky's the limit. Lock me out. Grandpa, say, I like that. Before Spillman even picked up a menu, the mop-top kid was back at our table. Can I get you the usual, Mr. Spillman? Yeah, the usual for me and for my friend here. I intend to spare no expense. I want your special. You know the one. And put all the love in it you can muster. When Mr. Tula walks away from Papa's, I want him coming back begging. Okie dokie, the mop-top kid said, writing a couple of notes on a hand-sized order pad. He gave me a quick wink before wheeling around and heading toward the kitchen. I rested my elbows on the formica table and leaned forward. It was time to get down to business. I have to admit, Mr. Spillman, your newspaper ad had me intrigued. What exactly is a soul broker? Mr. Spillman looked both ways and fixed me with a Santa Claus-like gleam in his eye. I half expected him to put his finger on the side of his nose and go up the chimney. Don't tell anyone, but I have the best job in the world. The universe, even. As far as showering joy on people, I'm a regular candy man. How so? I asked. I didn't feel awkward asking questions. Like most of us humans, Mr. Spillman seemed all too willing to talk about the subject for which he had the most passion. 
himself. If you ever done something really good for someone, you know, truly knocked it out of the park, sent him away whistling? Uh, I don't think so, I said. Oh, come on. Everyone has something in that trunk. A granddaddy good deed that you can wear like a big golden star on your forehead. I'm a sucker for a story. Now come on, give. Then I'll tell you all you want to know about my job. And I thought for a moment. I didn't consider myself a philanthropist. But there was a good deed or two in my past. We had a bitch of a winter back about ten years ago, I said. There was so much snow that people had to actually shovel it from the roofs to avoid cave-ins. My mom pulled me and my friends out of the weather where we had been making the biggest snowman you've ever seen. We were in the middle of something great and she threw water on our party by handing out snow shovels to every last one of us. Before I knew it, she'd sent us over to Mr. Palumbo's place. He was a crotchety old guy who lived on my street. At the behest of my mother, we knocked on the door. When he answered, we asked if we could shovel his roof for him. He smiled and sent us up. Must have taken better than four hours to clear all the snow. When we were done, I remember being more tired than ever in my life. We jumped off his roof into a deep bank, and there he was, standing on his porch, wallet open. Now, I thought, all right, it's paid it. We're going to walk home with a few extra bucks for our trouble. Mr. Palumbo said, what do I owe you kids? I was working the figures. I thought maybe three bucks an hour would be fair. But before I could open my mouth with what I thought was a good rate, my friend Rob Landry opened his big trap and said, Mr. Palumbo, we're just glad to be of service. Mr. Spillman rocked his head back and laughed so hard at my story that I looked over my shoulder to make sure we weren't annoying anyone else in the dining hall, but we were still alone. He finished his gales of laughter and came around, wiping tears from his twinkling eyes. That's a heck of a story, kid. How'd you feel about being glad to be of service? Oh, I was pissed at Rob. But as time went on, I guess I understood. Mr. Palumbo was an old man. Couldn't have gotten up on that roof to save his life. You didn't get the dough. So you went home with a sour puss. Either way, you went home with something, Spillman said. Well, I I guess that's true. Just goes to show you, kid, there ain't no free lunch in life. So there you have it. You know about me. Now what about you? What does it mean to call yourself a soul broker? Mr. Spillman leaned heavily on the Formica table, mantling it with his sizable elbows. Kid, you ain't gonna believe me. I could see it right off the bat when I spotted you sitting here. I work in advertising. Not supposed to believe anything. But why don't you give it a shot? All right. I'm a plain talker, so I'm gonna lay it out straight for you. I'm exactly what the old stories talk about. I work for the man downstairs, squaring deals with kids like you. You mean you work for the devil? I said, my eyebrows aslant. You got it, kid. Only he's had some pretty bad PR for the past few millennia. I'm cut from a new ilk, bent on changing the man's image. We're trying something new, going mainstream, you might say. So do you have a condo in hell? I said, trying not to laugh. Believe me, kid, I've heard them all. You can't rattle me none with your jokes and cynicism. The truth is, yeah, I live in what you call hell. Only Dante had it all wrong. They ain't no fire and brimstone. I got beachfront property, hemp hammock, my ties with umbrellas, the whole works. What people don't understand is hell's just a business like any other corporation. Granted, she's a big damn corporation. D 
the oldest in existence, but we're in it for the same reasons as Apple, Microsoft, and Exxon. Name your poison. Why haven't I seen you on the Fortune 500 list? I asked. Mr. Spillman chuckled. <laughs> Again with the jokes, kid. What goes on here, where you live, it's fleeting. You got your dollars, you got your yen, you got your yuan. People used to trade in Electrums, Syracusians, Siriuses, and Denariuses. Heck, they even traded in sheep, cows, and horses. But currency, as you humans know it, holds no lasting value. My company trades in real estate with eternal worth. Souls, you mean. Correctamundo, kid. Let's say what you're telling me is true, which, by the way, I don't believe for a minute. What can you do with the soul once you own it? Boys to Bob, whether or not you believe is of no consequence to me. Have you been to China? Sure haven't. And how do you know it's there? Evidence, pictures, common knowledge. You got the same evidence of my boss written into thousands of books and straight from the mouths of guys you call prophets. You're talking about religion. No, kid. I'm talking about evidence. You didn't answer my question. What can you do with a soul once you own it? A million things. If I get your soul, I can do anything from calling in a favor from you every now and again to refining it into pure energy. Do you have any idea how much power even one soul has? Heck, you could power this whole city for a hundred years. A soul's like a microprocessor. It holds both power and... Suddenly, the most tantalizing smell I have ever experienced wafted to our table. I forgot what I and Mr. Spillman had been talking about and looked toward the source of the aroma. The mop-top kid walked toward us, holding a pair of lunch boxes. I felt intensely drawn to the boxes. I wanted to see what gave off the arresting fragrance, but it lifted me away from the conversation with Mr. Spillman in mid-sentence. I watched the mop-top kid walk all the way across the dining hall to our table. He smiled down at us gave me a wink. I've got your usual, Mr. Spillman. The mop-top kid sat one of the boxes in front of Mr. Spillman. The lunchbox contained a huge gourmet burger and an order of french fries. And for you, the special. The mop-top kid put the second box down in front of me. A burger, even larger than Mr. Spillman's, half-wrapped in a yellow sheet of butcher paper, leaning up against a box of freshly cut, seasoned fries. I salivated. I couldn't help it. The burger offered every culinary luxury such a dish could prefer. Two patties, mushrooms, peppers, at least three types of cheese, sweet onions, the mixture of moods and tones and the aroma set my taste buds buzzing. I looked at Mr. Spillman. He wore a king-sized, didn't-I-tell-you-so grin. Why don't we continue our stimulating conversation after you have eaten? It was the best thing Mr. Spillman could have said. Without a word, I picked up the burger. The yellow butcher paper rustled in my eager fingers. The sandwich's girth forced me to squeeze it down so I could get my mouth around it. I took a bite. I felt my soul warm, if that was possible, with the mixture of flavors that overloaded my senses. The burger didn't just taste good. I felt a kind of relief throughout my entire being as I bit into it, like something pent up and malevolent had been set free. I pulled the first bite away from the burger, a runner of cheeses followed, pepper jack, sharp, cheddar, and Swiss. Separately, I liked all three of the cheese varieties, but together, mixed with the moist sautéed mushrooms and onions, 
the spiced mixture of rich sauces and the freshly baked bun, which still seemed warm as if it had just come out of the oven, they combined forces and created an entirely new flavor, something between tranquil pellucidity and spiritual apogee. I rolled the savor in my mouth, exploring its every facet and nuance, closing my eyes against distraction. Usually, I like a Diet Coke with my lunch, but the cheeseburger's perfection forbade me any delusion of its excellence. I swallowed then opened my eyes. Both Mr. Spillman and the Mop Top Kid looked at me, huge smiles on their faces. Well, Mr. Spillman asked, the best damn thing I've ever put into my mouth. Why isn't this place packed? I looked at the empty booths behind Mr. Spillman. Slow day, I guess, the Mop Top Kid said. So I put everything I could into that one burger, just for you. You're a genius, I said and took another bite. Another explosion of flavor threatened to send me swooning. I chewed, mastication almost ceremonial, like steps up a lighted staircase to enlightenment. I'll leave you two alone, the mop-top kid said and walked away from our table. Mr. Spillman picked up his burger and we ate in silence. I had to fight to avoid smacking my lips or moaning in pleasure as I put bite after bite away, chasing them down with the best french fries I've ever tasted. I took my time with the mill, forgetting that I had come to talk to Mr. Spillman, not to be taken away to culinary paradise. It took nearly 45 minutes to finish the burger. After I threw the last bite into my mouth, I used a napkin to wipe a surprising quantity of sauce from my lips. I must have eaten a half pound of lean, medium rare beef but I felt content not too full and certainly not hungry was that pure pleasure or what Mr. Spillman said leaning back in his bench his ham sized hands interwoven across his ample belly I have to come back here oh you will someday everybody does Mr. Spillman said and you should bring your friends Now, back to business. Do you have any more questions for me? I had almost forgotten about the soul broker dilemma. I wiped the remains of the grease from my fingers with a lemon-colored napkin. Actually, I came out of interest. Not to make a deal. I'm agnostic. I don't know if I believe in God, much less a soul. And the notion of a devil? Well, that just seems silly to me. Mr. Spillman leaned forward against the table. That's normal. Most people have agnostic tendencies to one degree or another. But while I'm here, how do you work the terms? Say if someone wanted to trade his soul, is there a standard contract? Like I said, Mr. Spillman said, most everything people want these days is fleeting and cheap to a broker like me. Want money? Mr. Spillman snapped his fingers. I can fill your bank account. Want women? He snapped his fingers again. I can deliver up the most voluptuous babes that only Photoshop can produce. Want fame? He snapped his fingers again. Instant rock star. Seems too good to be true, I said. What can I say? I'm resourceful. What about the fine print? A standard voyable contract does the trick, sealed with a handshake, the way honorable business people ought to do things. There's a standard 10-year grace period, which can be negotiated. Once the period runs out, I take delivery for my client. There's a car crash, cancer, murder, suicide. It can be anything. And I deliver the goods. I chuckled to myself. What's so funny? Mr. Spillman asked. 
the broad smile never leaving his lips. It's, it's just too much. I mean, there's no subtlety to your con. How much do you get away with, and who's stupid enough to give it to you? Do you take bank draft numbers, cash? What? I don't get it. Only souls, kid. I deal strictly in souls. I checked my watch, suddenly realizing how much time had passed. The agency showed more than enough leniency for the creative egos that strutted around the place like peacocks. But, as my boss had so aptly put it, the agency wasn't built for employees who worked on my level. I'd be in trouble if I didn't make it back soon. I'm afraid I'm going to have to run, I said. Oh? Mr. Spillman's eyebrows arched. I stood up from the booth, wiping the last few crumbs of lunch from my jeans. It's been enlightening, to say the least. But I wasn't born yesterday, Mr. Spillman. Unless I see you again, I guess this is goodbye. Oh, I think you'll see me again, Mr. Spillman said. Well, if you frequent Papa's, yeah, you'll see me again for another one of those out-of-the-park burgers. Thanks for turning me on to this joint. Not a problem. I'll even cover the tab. He reached out a hand for me to shake. At first, I reciprocated, but just before our hands touched, I pulled mine away. Agnostic, eh? Mr. Spillman said, still holding his hand out. Sometimes it's just a handshake, kid. I'll see you around, I said, and backed away from the bear of a man. He waved and turned and left Papa's burger. The Terrifying Lies podcast will return after this short commercial break. Welcome back to the Terrifying Lies podcast. When I got back to the agency, I told my friends about the burger joint. I tried to describe the lunch I had shared with Mr. Spillman. I tried to express the perfection of the burger and the lusciousness of the fries. But with something as meaningless as words, I couldn't do Papa's justice. I decided they had to experience it for themselves. The next day, I loaded my Civic with three work friends and we headed south to where I had met Mr. Spillman. The whole way, I ranted, shouting over the classic rock station which blared everything from Alice Cooper to Rush. I gave a five-star review of the food. I told my friends that once they tried the Papa's special, they'd never eat at McDonald's again. But when we pulled up to Papa's Burger, I found an abandoned building. The voluminous neon sign had long since blinked out, much of the glass broken by the stones of vandals. The L-shaped sign, which had just the day before been so brilliant that one could read by it in the dark, stood cankered with age, slanted, pathetic with the wear and rust of weather and time. So this is Papa's, one of my friends said, looking out the window at the out-of-business burger joint. Maybe I could order a plate of spiderwebs. Nice joke, Tuller. Let's head over to Olive Garden, another of my friends said. I ignored them and got out of my Civic. I walked past the decrepit concrete sculpture of the fat man with the anchor tattoo. I tried the door. The chain held it shut. I cupped my hands and looked through the foggy glass, the table at which Mr. Spillman and I had sat. The full leather no longer shined in brilliant red. The sun had long since taken the vibrancy, leaving the booth seats a drab flesh color, torn, bits of foam padding protruding like guts out of the upholstery. Perplexed, I turned to leave. That's when I found an envelope with my name written on it. Someone had taped it to the back of the concrete sculpture's neck. 
I took the envelope and opened it up, right there, in front of the joint. Inside, I found a postcard. It was a photograph of Mr. Spillman. He stood with his hands spread, a signature smile gracing his face. Behind him, a wall of flames burned. Along the bottom of the photograph, he'd written in block marker, Wish you were here. I flipped the postcard over and found a short note. Hey, kid, it was a pleasure meeting you. Just wanted to let you know I took your proposal to the man, and he agreed to the times of your contract. We'll take delivery of your soul in ten years. You're a good kid, and I think it was a good trade. Hope you enjoyed your end. It's one hell of a boyga, one in a lifetime. Be seeing you in ten, Mr. Spillman. I swallowed a ball of cotton that had formed in my mouth and folded the postcard in half. I slid it into my pocket on my way back to my friends. cranked up the radio in my Civic. I started the car and pulled out of the abandoned parking lot onto the street, the Stones song blaring away. I decided Olive Garden didn't sound so bad after all. This has been Soul Broker, written and performed by Craig Nibo. I used to work at a large ad agency. In many ways, I didn't fit in. I know it comes across cynically in the story, but the truth is, in the professional creative world, he who has the biggest ego and most expensive designer glasses often wins. At least that was my experience. In my humble observation, when climbing the ladder in the agency setting, talent doesn't have much to do with it. Needless to say, I didn't climb many rungs. Don't get me wrong, I met some lifelong friends at that agency, and we still stay in contact. Other than theming soul broker around the dog-eat-dog nature of so-called creatives, I wanted to see if I could coax a character into accidentally selling his soul for a cheeseburger. I didn't want this character to be so kind. I kind of wanted him to get what he deserved. So I wrote the protagonist as kind of a cynical jerk. I hope you enjoyed the story. For today, I give you a brand new song written especially for this episode. I hope you like it. With no more delay, here is Soul Broker, written and performed by me, Craig Nibo. One, two, hey, let's go. I met a demon at the bay, never want to give it to his way. He's Come here, boy.
again. I'm afraid this is the point where we must part ways. But I hope you carry this story with you on your way out into the real world. Please come back. I'm always here, waiting with another story and tune, just for you. Until we meet again, I wish you sweet dreams. Or should I say, sweet nightmares. This has been the Terrifying Lies Podcast. Please, come again. You're welcome here. (laughs) Thank you.